for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. My guest is Alex Bovey. Uh, Alex, if you want to give a little uh, background on yourself and the company to kick things off, that would be cool. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Tony, for having me. I really appreciate the the time today. Yeah, so my background is in um, security. I, I've lived and breathed security for a very long time, uh, over 15 years, uh, working first in in mobile security, um, and then uh, previously at Okta, where I led up security and zero trust products there, uh, focused mostly on authentication and deviceware access control. And um, uh, you know, really started Conductor One to help solve some problems that we saw uh, as it as it related to uh, getting access to users at the right time with the right level of permissions, sort of managing authorization um, around your employee and your workforce users. And happy to get into that more. But we've been um, at Conductor One for a little over two years. Uh, we're a venture back startup. Uh, great customers. Um, really focused on. Uh, sort of that IGA and, and modern cloud PAM space. Okay. Um, let's, so, so I guess one place I'd like to sort of start things, and you, you and I have talked about this a little bit when we when we spoke in the past, is just, I, I think that it's an interesting story to tell, to say, you know, you, you, you were at Okta and you saw this problem and you're solving the problem. And because, you know, Okta, you know, to, to many people, Okta is also trying to solve that problem. So, um, what is it? What is it that's unique about your approach? Unique about Conductor One? Like, what made you say, you know, what I need to go start this other thing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it all started first. I'll start with the, the problem statement, and then I'll talk a little bit about why we thought there was an, an interesting opportunity to solve it in a unique and different way. So the problem statement that we saw, you know, I was at Okta, I was, I was leading zero trust and security products. And what that really meant at the end of the day was, was a, a big focus on authentication. How do you authenticate users and how do you authenticate devices? And I, I was, the, you know, the biggest proponent of multi-factor authentication you'd ever meet. You know, that, that was like what my security roadmap was centered around. It was it was FIDO, it was hard tokens, it was push notifications and verifications and OTPs and the myriad, the sort of smorgasbord of credentials that you could imagine for every sort of different form factor and deployability concern that you might have for an organization. And that's great. I think that really solves a significant security problem as it relates to making sure that the user who is, uh, is uh, saying that they you know, saying that they are a certain identity is actually that identity and is actually that person. That's the authentication problem. The problem that that I saw every customer struggling with was really around authorization management. It was about how do you, you know, there's this proliferation of groups within your organization. No one knows what all the different groups do and the access that it gains. You have tons of SaaS applications and this run to the cloud has been great for productivity because people have adopted tons of SaaS, but then you've got this massive SaaS sprawl and how do you secure it? You've got all of your production infrastructure and data and customer data effectively in the cloud, many times administered, managed by different teams or application owners throughout the organization. And so this, this problem of the sprawl of identities and the access that they have and making sure that you get the right amount of access to the right people for the right time to do their job is really where, where I saw companies struggling uh, after they felt like they'd solved that authentication problem. Um, and that's the authorization management piece. For me, that was the next step in the, the least privilege access journey. Um, so I, you know, I was very focused on zero trust 
at Okta, Zero Trust is about getting, uh, you know, strongly authenticating users, encrypting all traffic, and making sure people get the right amount of access for the right amount of time. That last problem is actually nefariously complicated because it's workflow, it's context, it's multi-user decision points, it's um, kind of automated provisioning and deprovisioning, and without the right product tools to be able to solve those problems, um, you know, you just end up with over-provisioned users, you end up with people who have too much access, you've pushed too, pushed too much access to birthright provisioning, um, and that at the end of the day is a security risk. There's no reason that your engineering team should have access to the production infrastructure while they're asleep, right? But if the getting access is really painful, people tend to over-provision. So there's a lot wrapped up sort of in those problem statements. Yeah. The opportunity that we that we saw um, to tie it to, to why what was different was really two fundamental things. One is that we saw this this big shift in terms of how companies, particularly modern companies, wanted to manage access. And it was the shift away from sort of command and control, everything through ticketing systems, um, mostly sort of like driven by IT help desk, much more to a, a decentralized administration of access where you've got resource owners, application owners, you've got the security team creating policies that kind of define how people should get access and enforcing that. Um, and that's really essential because you, you really need to kind of break that bottleneck of this central um, sort of command and control, everything funneling through a single pipeline. It takes you a week to get access. It's really inefficient. No one really has the context of whether you should have it, yes or no. Um, and so that was one big shift that we saw. The other big shift was companies were just clamoring to be able to connect to and leverage um, that central access control authorization management control plane to any application and technology. and. The challenge with that is, as you know, there's literally like thousands of SaaS applications. Um, one of our customers the other day said, uh, there's a there's a SaaS for that, kind of meaning like for every single right. pain point you might have, <laughs> uh, any sort of like niche problem you might have, there's a SaaS application for that. And so being able to connect up, provision, deprovision, inspect users, understand authorization within the context of those different systems, SaaS infrastructure and on-prem, uh, is a really hard technical problem. And so we've uh, really focused on how we solve that problem at scale as well. Happy to talk more about that. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things that I think, I mean, I think this issue has existed since there have been permissions. <laughs> but yeah. um, uh, it is the idea of, you know, it, it, it's easy to address the squeaky wheel. It's easy, like, you know, like, I mean, I've, I've, I've been in the network admin shoes or whatever. So people come in and say, I need access to this. It's really easy for me to, like, click a switch and and boom, you have access. Um, but going to, you know, your your point about the sprawl, the the more challenging part or the part that isn't isn't enough of a pain point for a lot of organizations to make it a priority is the life cycle of that it's the okay but when when do they not need access when should i deprovision that that access um and that's how you end up with the sprawl it's real easy for me to give you access it's unlikely that i'm going to come back and say hey alex do you still need that access um and and that's you know and, and then you end up with you know zombie accounts and zombie devices and and things that just have no business being uh, you know, on 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 the network or having access to things that just still do because no one stopped to ask, should they? 
That's right. The the fundamental challenge, actually, um, and I think this is this is like a, a a way of thinking about it from a security perspective. Is in security, um, you have to think a lot about sort of the asymmetry of the attack. Is the the defense of the attack uh, less costly than the cost for the attacker to actually execute it? And if you get that switch, in other words, if the defense of the attack is more expensive than the attack itself, you have a big problem because um, attackers can spend very little calories to, you know, try to execute some sort of attack against you. I think it's a it's a similar problem when it comes to access management and granting. If getting access to people is very expensive, meaning it's help desk tickets, it's manual processes, it's uh, manual workflows, pinging people, it takes tons of time, then necessarily everyone will be very reluctant to like claw that access back or to give it up. And so you end up with these situations where, you know, if you've worked in bigger companies, you've probably seen this, you get a new person joining the team um, and it's like, well, what access do they need? And it's like, well, copy everything from Joe. <laughs> so like no one actually knows if that's all the access that someone needs, but Joe's been here 15 years and he's accumulated everything. And like, we're just going to copy paste that over to the new, the new employee. Um, and then you're very reluctant to pull that back. So, I think part of the challenge in this space in particular is making it extremely low calorie and low touch to remove it, which means automating as much as possible, making it very easy to get it back, which also means automating it as po as much as possible. And then putting a lot of controls in place, frankly, that just um, make it kind of uh, super simple to execute um, uh, good reasons to remove access or to grant permissions in the first place, like, you know, being able to grant access based on a team membership or um, just in time because you're trying to access production infrastructure, removing access because you haven't used it in 30 days. Those are kind of the the controls that we think about that really help people to right size privileges within their organization over time. Okay, so thank you. you got a, a, a couple of different things there now. Hopefully I remember to get to them all, but um... Number one is you, you mentioned earlier, kind of you know coming from the background of zero trust, and um, you know, and and I've talked in the past about you know, I've, I've talked extensively about zero trust, but I've talked in the past about zero trust in in my opinion, really just being an evolution or a maturity of the concept of least privileged access. It's just you know we're kind of iterating along the way, going okay, but how can we improve that? But at its core, the the goal is the same. The goal is to say. Yes, I want you to. I, I want Alex to have access to all the things he needs to have access to to be effective and do his job, um, but no more. Um, because when the threat actor compromises your credentials through a phishing attack and they log in as Alex, I want to limit that blast radius. I want to say, okay, you can only get to the things Alex can get to. I don't need Alex to have permission for the you know finance domain controller. Yeah, that's right. I I 100% agree with you. And I think what what um what a lot of companies are realizing right now um is that that multi a multi-factor authentication is not enough. So the attackers they adjust, they get smart, they figure things out. So even if you're doing multi-factor, are using weak credentials, kind of like to your point, are using fishable credentials that someone can replay. Even if that's not the case, we've seen a lot of attacks happen recently where you just hijack the session token. And it's like, well, you can have the best 
device aware posture check at the point of authentication, or you're strongly authenticating the credentials of the user. But if the way that those users are being authorized downstream in the systems is with a bearer token that's sitting on their machine, you just have to compromise that token and it, it kind of doesn't matter. And then at that point, to your point, that really is the blast radius of the the single sign-on and the access that a user has is the blast radius of what that attacker is allowed to leverage at that point and what resources and data that they have access to. And so I 100% agree with you. I think the kind of step one, um, we, we think of definitely there's like a maturity curve as it relates to zero trust. Step one, tie your shoes, you know, strongly authenticate your users. I think, uh, frankly, least privilege and zero standing privilege is like a little bit harder in my mind because it's less like a single point in time. It's more about um, all the different systems and technologies you have, being able to get visibility into them and being able to kind of right size those permissions and privileges um, as close to real time as possible, to your point. Yeah. Well, one of the things you mentioned um, was you know, the idea of, you know, have you used these, have, have these credentials been used in the last 30 days or whatever, which does seem like something that is relatively simple to automate and is a valid question. It's sort of like, me falling asleep watching Netflix and it popping up after a couple hours ago. Hey, are you still watching or not? Um, you know, it's like, or, or or actually, I use I use a similar logic when it comes to purging stuff from the house. Like, you know, we move stuff to the garage. After like a year, I'm like, well, if nobody's even opened this box, we obviously don't need whatever is in it. Let's get rid of it. Um, that's it's similar similar logic of saying, hey, I've given you these credentials. You know, and, and if you need them to do your job effectively, then so be it. That's a, that's great. That's fine. However, I have this automated system in place that says you're not even actively using these. So why are they on? It, it, exactly. It's funny you mentioned the box analogy. I have the exact same uh, closet management clothes philosophy, which is if there's something in my closet, like a dress shirt that I haven't worn in a year, I say it doesn't belong to me anymore. <laughs> I get rid of it. Seems, seems <laughs> Yeah, the, the the tricky part, I think, is really automating that as much as possible and then also giving users the confidence that if you take something away, it's easy for them to get it back. I think if you can really nail that, and that's about building trust with the end users, it's about um, kind of having that low-touch education point with um, the end users themselves about, hey, it looks like you have access to these systems. Do you actually still need this? You haven't logged in in 60 days. Um, if you haven't, If you don't log in, we'll probably downgrade your license or take that access away, but it's going to be really easy for you to get it back. You can self-serve request it and we'll, we'll grant it and provision it. I think it's about providing that timely context. And then again, just making it really easy for, for someone to get that access back if they need it. Yeah. Well, and, and then I guess to kind of take that concept to, you know, in a slightly different direction or a step further is the idea of, of the just in time or or like you know, one of the things that was sort of new to me, someone someone introduced me to the concept um, last year. Um, we were talking about how there was a trend of uh, like, you know, Russia aligned threat actors executing ransomware attacks on like the Friday before a holiday weekend. So like this Friday, as we go into Memorial Day, Day, Memorial Day weekend, knowing that nobody's going to be at work or there's going to be a skeleton crew. Nobody's, you know, mm. there's, there's fewer people paying attention. So that's a great time to execute an attack. And someone said, well, you know, all these credentials should just be turned off. Like nobody, you, you know, nobody's going to be at work. So why, why even allow the credentials to work? 
And I hadn't prior to that, I hadn't really heard of that concept. I was like, oh, I didn't know it was a thing you people people do where you just say, well, what if we just turned off all of the access except for like one, you know, admin account for emergencies or whatever. Um, I mean, but that's kind of that's kind of the nuclear option. But even just in, in general, I think it's fair to have a system that says, hey, this is when Tony works. You know, like I, I don't need I don't need Tony's credentials to work really at 3 a.m. on Saturday. He's not going to be logging in then. A hundred percent. And um, yeah, couldn't agree with you more on the idea of just in time. I mean, I I totally empathize with the idea of like nuking everyone's credentials uh, on a holiday weekend. <laughs> the obviously the the uh, implementation detail matters a little bit. Like, how do you nuke the credentials? Are you resetting them? Do they need to re-enroll? Like, are you just suspending them? Like, what does that actually look like? But I think the the philosophy of it is absolutely spot on, which is the idea that if you boil down kind of just even the concept of, hey, during a long holiday weekend, most people aren't going to need access. The, the fundamental first principle-based ideas there are people shouldn't have access to things when they don't need it. Um, they should be able to get access to different resources, applications, pr particularly privileged or sensitive resources and apps when they do need it. And that should be as uh, low touch and low friction as possible. And so I think, you know, while it's great to, to maybe do something in a one-off, I, I really think every company would benefit from a security standpoint of just operationalizing that at a program level. It's like, well, why just do this for the weekend? Why don't we just make this, you know, much more of like a just-in-time program? How do we identify our critical uh, infrastructure applications, places where our customer data sits, and what are the controls and policies and procedures we want to have in place to actually secure that and much more of a, a, a real-time, just-in-time based access uh, control pattern? Yeah. Um, one of the things, uh, in, you and I, you and I discussed this briefly just before, uh, we, we started the podcast, but, you know, I was saying if, if I'm starting a company from scratch, then I can pick and choose the applications that I'm going to use and the, and, and, and I, and, and I can choose things that by default are designed to work together, et cetera, you know. But over time, that's going to change. Or if, but it, and if you're going in and talking to an existing customer, they've already got an investment of, you know, they've got security tools in place. They've got whatever, you know, network management tools in place. They've got, you know, all these things are already exist. Um, so, you know, for, for, from Conductor One's perspective or whatever, you know, you have to be able to integrate with those like you, know, you have to, you have to make it as easy for me as possible so like how 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 does conductor one address that yeah that that was that principle of sort of meeting customers where they are was uh, a core founding principle and a, a, a common theme in how we make all of our product investments so we really wanted to and and actually if you take a step back for a second the reason that that was an important principle to us is that my co-founder and I have lived and breathed identity and lived in the identity world for many, many, many years. And it's just the recognition that actually identity and access control is extremely messy. Every company has a slightly different way of doing it. Certainly there are cloud uh, native companies that were born in the last five years that are only in the cloud. They don't have an on-premise infrastructure or anything like that. Um, but there's a lot of companies out there that don't just look like that. They might have on-prem Active Directory. They have LDAP powering their 
uh, infrastructure access and authorizing access to servers. Um, they have uh, they might have multiple IDPs. They might have an IDP that they're using to power engineering access to infrastructure and an IDP that they use for the rest of their workforce for SaaS applications. It's just a it's a very messy world actually. And people have very good business reasons for the technical choices that they've made and or they might just have historical reasons because they were started in 2010 or 20, 2005 or whatever the case might be. Um, and so you, I think you really, when you recognize that that is the way the world looks and works in reality, you make different technical and product decisions that kind of embrace that reality. And just as a, a very tactical example, um, and a little bit shameless self-promotion, but like one of the, um, the, the concepts that we have in Conductor One is you can have multiple IDPs connected to Conductor One and we build a sort of, uh, you know, a single sort of book of record around what all your canonical user identities are throughout those different IDPs and HR systems that might exist. That's a very different philo philosophical way of kind of building um, an access control product versus assuming you have a single IDP um, that's a single source of truth and that your HR system is perfectly synced up to it and, and kind of there's like a lot of assumptions that go into that that different world. So I would say it starts at that philosophical level um, from a, just how you build the product and there's a lot of product decisions we've made on that. I think the other piece of it is at the integrations level. Um, so we provide visibility into access um, and authorization and, and resources that your company has throughout all of your applications. We manage the workflows around access requests and reviews. But to do that, you have to connect to all these different environments and those environments might be on premise, they might be in cloud infrastructure, you might be managing access all through your IaaS, IAM control plane, like AWS's IAM control plane. Um, but in order to manage access to all those different technologies, you really need to bridge that protocol gap of um, given a control plane, how does that control plane work with all these different technologies? And so we created an open source ecosystem uh, called Baton, uh, where we've been open sourcing our integrations, really with the idea of evangelizing this protocol um, that's kind of an open IGA, privilege access management protocol, you could think of it as that. Um, for provisioning access, deprovisioning access, getting visibility across all your different identities and resources and authorization and access rights within a different, within an application. Okay. Well, I mean, that's uh, off topic somewhat, but, um, you know, one of the, one of the kind of growing areas of, of security issues or concerns is is in, in in the api side and you know so it it, it goes back to my the, the the mantra that i've professed for many many years of everything that makes your life easier also makes it easier for threat actors you know so every everything that helps you can be used against you um and you know and and so now we've got you know this you know massive ecosystem with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of apis out there um which are all very useful and and they do great things, but also theoretically could be you know used against you at some point. Um, to some extent, I think, and and again, different topic, but I, I and 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 you may not know. I know I don't know, but like it seems to me like it would be nice if there was more like like a like standardization of like 
maybe every single thing doesn't need to have its own API. Maybe there's just an, you know some API that says, hey, this is just how we communicate with each other, and you know th then you don't have to have seventy five different APIs that do the same thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, I think if you look at the the analogy here um, with authentication. I think when the cloud, the kind of cloud happens, so to speak, I know the cloud's been happening for like 20 years. Um, Salesforce had the no software Ghostbusters logo back in like 2004 or something like that. But, um, you know, when, when cloud really became prolifically adopted, I would say starting in like early 2010, the SAML standard already existed. You know, SAML had been around since, I don't even know, 1995 or something. It was used for like internal applications and and uh, federating users through internal uh, apps. And so cloud really, I think, benefited from having that, that federation protocol standard where you could authenticate a user once in an IDP and then log them into some other application. Uh, because the standard existed, that standard was pretty well baked and it worked and so cloud apps could just implement saml and all of a sudden you could hook that up to your idp and it made it infinitely easier to adopt that additional technology the challenge is no protocol exists for authorization so there's no protocol out there that says hey here's how you should manage account lifecycle. Here's how you provision users. Here's how you grant a uh, permission on a resource. Here's how you inspect all the different accounts and permission levels that they have within an application. Um, and so, in the absence of that, uh, you know, you can kind of do a closed source thing, which you know some companies are trying to do. That we believe that at the end of the day, that your identity data and authorization data belongs to you and it should be easily accessible and that's why we created um, baton not just as an ecosystem to you know build our own integrations against and really make that plug and play there but also as something that uh, is open source you can pull it off the shelf and use it to let's say like audit your aws infrastructure for all the identities and permissions that users have in aws right well and and i will say that I appreciate the the open source aspect of it because I think that that that's where that that's where things start to get to sort of what I was referring to, you know, which is you know you, you could create some proprietary thing and then everyone else creates their own proprietary thing, but if you can if you can create an open source you know solution and have enough people jump on board that that kind of grows to be the standard, you know, like eventually it's like all right, well, it seems like everyone's using this, let's just use that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think there's also a uh, standalone use case. I mean, there's obviously kind of connecting up workflows to those different applications and, and the standard protocol sort of helps at that level. But there's also just standalone use cases that I think are, are interesting um, as well. So we found when we were early days doing a lot of customer discovery, every single company we would talk to auditing their infrastructure um, and who had access to that infrastructure was like a, a common pain point, as you might imagine, because security teams are, they want to know, like, who has access to GitHub? Uh, do we have orphaned accounts in GitHub? Did we properly offboard users from GitHub when they, you know, left the company? Um, are people over permission? Like, those are hard problems. And what we found is that a lot of security engineering teams were solving the exact same problems using different variations of like hacky Python scripts <laughs> effectively to like pull that data out, get the data, munge it, do something with it, dump it into your SIM or generate alert on it or look through a report or whatever the case might be. Uh, and so again, just from an open source standpoint, our 
hope is that uh, by you know really making that easy and accessible, um, people can use um, you know technology that's a little bit more robust, maybe as middleware, to be able to solve those same pain points. Is so is there a function of conductor one that is also able to do say you know sort of identity and access inventory for that you know because there's the the, the the you know the the you can't protect which you don't which you, which you don't know about uh, you know concept and you know so the active management of of this is is all great but also as a company like I would want I, I would want something that's going to on a regular basis basically scan my entire ecosystem so that I can know, oh, hey, there are these rogue users out here or these rogue devices that you're not paying attention to. Yeah, you can't protect what you can't see. Uh, that's exactly one of the use cases that a lot of our customers use our product for is frankly just getting visibility into all the identities and access that exists within their environment and asking critical questions like, show me all the orphaned accounts in my environment, show me users who have active local accounts in different SaaS applications that have been uh, terminated in the HR system. And so just being able to ask those questions is exceptionally challenging for security teams where you may not even have uh, the rights to be able to go in and kind of inspect those systems because they might be owned by, like maybe your HubSpot account is owned by the the sales team, the sales ops team or something like that. And so just getting that visibility ends up being a very non-human scale problem um, for an organization once they become, let's say like 150 people. You don't even know who all the people are who should have access. You may not, the left hand doesn't know what the right is. You're in a remote centric culture. You don't know if people right. have been, new people have been onboarded, let go, what the case is there. And so kind of combobulating all that data and providing a central uh, pane of glass where you can look at all the identities and applications and resources and permissions across your environment is exceptionally valuable. And customers, um, yeah, they've, they've been loving that part of Conductor One. Well, and I, I, I imagine that sort of the initial, hey, we've installed this, let's take a look is eye-opening for most customers. Like I, 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 can't, I can't think of a scenario where that initial search wouldn't generate something that would make someone go, oh crap. Yeah, <laughs> you know, pretty much, yeah. Most organizations have something out there where it's like, hey, you know, why does that guy we fired three years ago still have an account on this domain controller? Exactly, and why is that? And why is that account uh, active? <laughs> That's right. I mean, it it is. Uh, it's exactly that. It's super eye opening. Um, again, sort of companies companies love that part of our POC and trial experiences, connecting it up to a few systems and being able to ask some pretty cr critical security oriented questions like that, being a little bit blown away by the results. Right. You know, and and you know, because there 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 have been you know well known. You know, the, the one that stands out is just the uh, Colonial Pipeline, you know, being hit by, you know, basically a zombie VPN account, you know. So had someone done some sort of an assessment of the network and said, hey, why does this VPN account exist? You know, they, they, they could have avoided that attack. Yeah, exactly. And it actually ties back. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of 
embracing the reality that identity is messy um, and from like a multi-directory standpoint and being able to understand your HR status and your directory status, that ties into all this, right? Because if you if you actually understand who all the human users are in your workforce and all the contractors, then you can understand the accounts that are associated with those folks in the local SaaSes and then drive the right remediation workflows from like an offboarding standpoint to make sure that you, you know, properly secured um, offboarded accounts as well. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, and, and you know, it plays into a broader issue that I've, I've encountered a few times, which is just offboarding processes in general seem to be much less well-defined than onboarding. Like onboarding, people have thought about, hey, you know, when someone starts, we need to give them this, we need to walk them through this, they need to sign these forms, we need to get them set up with access, et cetera, et cetera. Offboarding, it's like, all right, well, did they turn in their laptop and, you know, and, and we, we took away their, their key card. Um, and and I've been on the side of you know from 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 my department, uh, you know on, on the kind of like being on like a content and marketing side, but just saying hey I need I need someone there needs to be somewhere that that where there's like a internal newsletter that goes out that says oh by the way we let Bob go like I need to know yep. that <laughs> because then I'm reaching out I'm trying to reach out to hey where'd Bob go and they're like well he doesn't work here anymore I'm like oh well you know why didn't anyone tell me. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and it, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, even just like at the organizational level, right? Like when you onboard new users, of course, people always get the access they need because there's like a live human to make noise if they don't have it. So, <laughs> so they're like asking the question like, Hey, I need this thing. Uh, you know, they're submitting it help desk tickets. Like the access levels are growing when folks are offboarded. Like you said, you may not even know that may not be like a well announced thing that may not kind of trickle down to the uh, respective system owners. Um, no one's complaining that they need more access. So it's not really being like inspected necessarily. Um, I've definitely met with several customers who, you know, particularly in larger companies, it's um, with all the rifts that happened kind of towards the end of the year, beginning of the year, it's a board level discussion as to whether or not you know, a lot of folks were properly offboarded and really verifying that and making sure that that the access to the environment is properly secured um, because it, I think it is a, a, a very significant threat to have kind of orphaned accounts or non offboarded accounts with access rights to potentially sensitive data and infrastructure. Yeah, well, I mean, for sure, it's, you know, because it's, it's, I mean, they're, they're different parts of the same problem, but it's like it's one thing to say, you know, Tony only needs access when Tony when Tony needs access, and we should limit what what I have access to to to, to control the blast radius. All of that makes great sense for me as an active user. Um, that's one part of the problem that, to solve, and the other part is like these rogue, you know, like orphaned uh, zombie accounts out there because, you know, ultimately the attacker, you know, the, the threat actor just needs a way in. <laughs> and 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 oftentimes yeah. that that way in is 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 enough to you know a, a creative attacker will find a way to navigate laterally through the network um, until right. they un, until they find your Achilles heel. And it only takes one account. That's the other thing too, right? Um, it only takes one account sometimes to get the access that you need. But um, I think also to your point about zero trust, I I I view it similarly, which is. All of these these problems around access control live on a spectrum, and it's kind of the same spectrum. It's like 
birthright access is related to just-in-time access and zero-standing privileges for critical infrastructure is related to how you properly offboard users. And the common theme is you need visibility across all your applications, you need to understand your identities, and you need to drive and automate workflows as much as possible to make sure that you're right-sizing permissions and privileges. Yeah, yeah, because not to take anything away from uh, uh, John Kinderweg for coining the the zero trust uh, term or whatever way back when, but um, more recently I had a conversation with a uh, with a CISO who kind of pushed back on the whole concept. He said, "Well, it's a misnomer from from the get go." He's like, "There's there's always trust. There's no such thing as zero trust. You can't yeah. get anything done with zero <laughs> trust. It's it's." much more limited trust it's it's i'm 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 more scrutinizing of who i'm trusting but the, but in the end you are still trusting something or someone uh, otherwise nothing would get done yeah absolutely i actually remember early day zero trust the other uh concern i would hear from uh yeah cso's is just the 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 term the phrase zero trust feels a little bit like a pejorative sometimes so um, this was back before zero trust was like the new buzzword where it's a board level conversation and you know people were kind of bought into it organizationally because everyone knew it it was actually really hard to evangelize zero trust internally because it sounded naturally like you wanted to take things away from people <laughs> so it's just an interesting yeah. i guess um point point of uh you know, security is sometimes, frankly, uh, an evangelization problem, and it's like a hearts and minds and getting everyone bought into what you're trying to accomplish at the organizational level. And uh, you need good names for these things. That's why I actually like um, least privilege a lot as a term because it doesn't, it's like, yeah, of course we should be giving least privilege. Like we shouldn't have people overprivileged. Like that's not a good thing. Right. No, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's like, um, uh, I, I will, I will stop short of, of, uh touching the third rail on uh on on politics but in general it often comes to it, it, it politics is often a marketing issue it's 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 not like who has the better idea it's who can market their idea better and oftentimes that comes down to what is the term you came up with to call your legislation um because the name can make all the difference it could be great legislation with a crappy name or crappy legislation with a great name. And that, that will make a difference in how it resonates in the hearts and minds of voters. And oh, 100%. Or in this case, in the hearts and minds of, of users. It's like, you know, if you call it one thing, people are like, oh, that sounds like a thing I want. We should do that. But if you just change the name, everyone goes, ooh, that sounds draconian. And like you're being, you're trying to control me. I don't want that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the, the the talking points matter. It'd be like the difference of is it access control or like access enablement? It's like one sounds uh, a little bit <laughs> like you're trying to control things. One sounds like you're trying to help me out. But um, that 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 definitely matters when you're, uh, you know, when you're looking at um, just how you change the culture internally, how you roll out solutions. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that's a, that, that actually was a very good point because we still do use the, you know, we we still say access control like that. We we still do use those those terms, but I do feel like over the last 10, 15 years, security in general has evolved. It has matured within within the the business world to be like to understand that we are here to facilitate productivity securely. We're not here to get in the way of it. You know, we're not we're not here to implement security for the sake of security. Um, we're trying to enable you. We're trying to we're trying to help you get your job done safely. Um, so we should look at well, maybe we should change some of these terms. 
A hundred percent. I mean, I think there's other elements to that as well that have moved the needle. I think one is that we see, uh, particularly in our customer base, a lot more collaboration and even convergence at times between IT and InfoSec and security and security engineering, where I think in some ways those are two sides to the same coin, right? Where security is really trying to create the right policies and guardrails and paved roads to make sure that the team has the tools and, and security uh, and is able to adopt uh, technology securely. IT was sometimes like the enforcement hammer of that. And so I think figuring out how those teams kind of work together and roll out tools that have great user experiences that, that customers love, I think is the, the mutual win there where you can be both secure, you know, make sure that you're able to adopt and move things quickly uh, or ad adopt in, in uh, technology and move quickly. Um, but you're uh, you're doing it in a way that enables users to be productive and and happy. And so I I think the trade-off no longer really needs to exist, particularly when you sprinkle uh, a lot of automation um, in the mix and um, you just you sprinkle sort of um, uh, uh, the right the right layers of um, control to the right teams, um, being able to balance that. And that's one thing that we really embrace just with. Uh, being able to automate conductor one from like a policy perspective and um, configure it, you know, from like an API driven standpoint. And um, but then also, uh, again, like automating the provisioning, deprovisioning processes, making it delightful from an end user experience standpoint. Okay. Well, and, and like I say, ultimately, it is, it is definitely the goal. Um, you know, like, you know, people have pushed back on two-factor, multi-factor, like all these things, because it's like, well, it's, uh, it's annoying. Now I've got to do an extra thing. Um, but it is a matter of finding that balance. It's like, you know, on, on the one hand, security doesn't want to be the, the draconian, hey, you will do it our way because we said so. But on the other hand, we can't just rubber stamp everything and just be like, ah, whatever. You know, so it's like there, there is a middle ground where we say, okay, look, I, I don't want to make you do things you don't, you shouldn't have to do, but there are some things you have to do. Yeah, 100%. I think the other thing that's a, a powerful tool there is, you know, mixing in the right carrots and trade-offs if if the team does do the, the, those things. So, um, you know, if you do adopt deviceware access control or just-in-time access control, you don't have to do X, Y, Z. You know, kind of like frame that a little bit um, for the team sometimes around, like, what is the what is the threat that we're trying to solve for? And there's different ways that we can solve that. And there's gonna be this experience if you choose to do it this way. And there's maybe a little bit of a better experience if you choose to do it this way. I think that's a, um, a framing sometimes that security teams have, have used that we've seen successfully. Okay. Um, I don't have any other questions, but I, 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 will, I will kind of wind down by simply asking if you have any closing thoughts, if there are any, anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure we uh, discuss before we wrap up. No, I mean, I guess my, my parting thought is I'm just really excited to really help with this problem. I think everyone at, at our team at Conductor One is really on this mission to secure workforce identity. We just we just fundamentally don't believe in the old trade-offs of productivity versus security. We think there's better ways to solve it. And we're excited to um, to just be a part of that movement and um, and make the world a more secure place and, and sort of secure the, the next generation of cloud forward, cloud adopting companies. Awesome. 
Well, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to join me. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tony. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, take care. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, Please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts. 